The whole concept of biblical separation is virtually gone in modern day evangelicalism. And if you take a stance and you say, I won't fellowship with that church because of such and such, you are labeled as unloving, unkind, evil, and on and on and on they'll go. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun a look at the first of seven churches listed in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. The church at Ephesus had had a reputation for serving and for loving those around them and for witnessing to the community about the Lord Jesus Christ. But somehow between the time the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians and the time the Apostle John penned his letter from Jesus Christ, the church of Ephesus, the Bible records, lost its first love. Today, Pastor Brogy gives some more characteristics about the church prior to having lost that passion for Christ. Let's join him as he begins reading from Revelation 2, verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil. Now, there's different words for toil or work in the New Testament, and Jesus selected the word kopos. It's a word for work that doesn't mean just to labor, but to work to the point of exhaustion. These were Christians who were willing to pay a price to serve the Lord. Not only were they working, they were working hard. Jesus said, I know all about your blood, sweat, and tears. They certainly were not like the fellow who said, now I lay me down to sleep. The sermon is long. The subject is deep. If he should quit before I wake, give me a nudge for goodness sake, all right? Hey, look. There's a lot of churches in America that are, spiritually speaking, sound asleep. Not this church. This was not a group of people who were straddling the pews. These were people who didn't come to sit, soak, and sour. These were people who loved the living God and were working. You knew what they were about in the church. If, some of, if all the members were like some of you, we would have no church this morning. Because some of you have never served anywhere and you have no intention of ever serving anywhere. That's sad. Not the church at Ephesus. Notice the second description. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. If you have the NASB, it brings you out into the margin and it translates the Greek as steadfast. In other words, this was a steadfast church. This was a dedicated church. Hupamane is the Greek. It speaks of endurance or perseverance in the midst of difficulty. And so the English standard renders it with two words, patience enduring. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. That's where these people. Jesus says, I know what you're facing. I understand that you are working to the point of perspiration. And not only you are working to the point of perspiration, you are persevering. You are not quitting. You are hanging in there week after week and year after year. They had been doing this now for over 40 years since Paul started this church. Jesus saw their deeds and their toil and their perseverance. And because they were a a diligent church and a determined church, he then goes on and he affirms them that they are a disciplined church. They're a disciplined church. Follow closely now verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil 
and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. So the Ephesian church was a disciplined church. Number one, they did not tolerate evil men for those who would pollute the Word of God, for those who would dilute the Word of God. They said, no way, we are not going to let you be a part of this church. Now, on the one hand, the Bible is very clear that a local church should help the weak. But on the other hand, the Bible is very clear that we are not to tolerate those who bring falsehood into the church. The whole concept of biblical separation is virtually gone in modern-day evangelicalism. And if you take a stance and you say, I won't fellowship with that church because of such and such, you are labeled as unloving, unkind, evil, and on and on and on they'll go. And so there were some apostles, not apostles meaning one of the twelve, say, or the fifteen, but there were sent ones like Epaphroditus, and there would be people who would be sent to different local churches to come alongside and to help them out. Greg and, I mean, Jeff and Brad are in the Bluffton Hilton Head campus there as sent ones from this fellowship, helping the fellowship of believers that are there this morning, coming alongside. And so there were people, just like last week, we sent some to Grandfield who would come alongside. But when they showed up at Ephesus, these who came saying, look, I'm a, a representative. I've been sent here. They put them to the test. They made sure that they were legitimate. Now, Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount that there would be men who would come like wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul, when he met with the Ephesian pastors, and it was plural, for the last time, in Acts chapter 20 on that beach, he said, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, not only will they come from the outside, some will infiltrate from the inside. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. And the apostle Paul would have been thrilled to have heard Jesus' commendation. For 40 years you did what I said. Now we must never forget that just as God has His real pastors, the devil has His pastors. And these people are to be detected and rejected. I read just recently of Chaplain Gavin Ashton. He's the chaplain to the Queen in Scotland. And he recently resigned from the Church of Scotland because on Epiphany Sunday, some churches are more liturgical and they have certain Sundays by certain names. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. And so you have Christmas and usually the week after you have Epiphany Sunday where you have the appearing of the wise men and they celebrate that. So on Epiphany Sunday, the churches in Scotland were asked not to read Matthew 2 of the wise men that affirmed the deity of the Lord Jesus, but they were instead to read as a bridge-building exercise Surah 19 from the Quran that denies Christ's deity. In the Ephesian church, they had high spiritual standards. They screened out the bugs that the light attracted, and we need to do that. And so in essence, when someone came in, they said, before you teach, 
We need to find out some things about you. We need to make sure that you are squared away Christian, that you know what you're about. Look, we have churches in this town that are doing homosexual marriages. Homosexual people are welcome here. And listen, being a homosexual, that's not what you are. That's what you do. You don't have to do sin any more than an adulterer has to live the lifestyle of an adulteress. You have choices that you can make. If any man is in Christ, he can be forgiven. He can become a new creation and God can renew your mind. But we have churches that have taken away from the Word of God or added to the Word of God. Paul, he's homophobic. Paul didn't do gay marriages, but we will. That's what they say. They tolerate evil men. And God calls them evil. Why does God call churches like that with pastors like that as evil? Because they are leading people straight to hell. And God's heart is not for people to perish, but to go to heaven. And when you lower the law, the law that's supposed to be lifted up because it serves as a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ, when you look into the law, you see your face is dirty. You see your soul is dirty like looking into a mirror. And if a church says homosexuality is okay, transgenderism is okay, getting high is okay, having sex before you're married is okay, having an open marriage is okay, they are evil. And they are leading people straight into the flames of hell. But not the Ephesian church. They clung on to sound doctrine. They were disciplined as to who they let in their pulpits. D, they were a devoted church. They were a devoted church. Look now at verse 3. And you have perseverance and have endured for My name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, particularly commendable was the fact not only that they had not grown weary, they had not quit, but they had not quit for His namesake. I mean, think about this for a moment. I mean, this was a famous church. Someone could say, well, oh, we know the church at Ephesus. That's the one the Apostle Paul started. That's the one Timothy, Timothy, his protege, pastored for a time. That's the one that great order and preacher of the gospel of Paulus spoke at. That's the one that the apostle John, who wrote three letters in the New Testament, pastored. No, this was not a church that was full of themselves. They persevered for Christ's namesake, for His honor, for His glory, They had their share of opposition. They persevered. They had not grown weary. They hung in there. They would not quit. They were kind of like a Navy SEALs of the first century in terms of evangelical churches. You say, what could be wrong with a church like this? If you find a church like this, you say you ought to join it. But then Jesus describes them as a deluded church. They were a deluded church. They had an appraisal of themselves that was not entirely accurate. So Jesus makes it clear. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first 
love. Now, word order in Greek, as in other case languages of the world, are very, very important because they don't use, you know, red ink or highlights. And so the way you emphasize something is by word order. And the word order here is not the typical order in the Greek New Testament. It literally reads, your first love you have left. 35, 40 years earlier, Paul commended them in Ephesians 1 for their great love for Jesus. But now Jesus said they had left their first love. And please understand, this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. It does not say they had lost their first love. They had left their first love. There is a distinction between leaving and losing. You can lose something quite by accident and not know where it is. But when you leave something, you know exactly where it is. These were second generation Ephesians who were lacking in their once deep first love for Jesus. The spiritual honeymoon had basically dwindled. Now you can read between the lines. Maybe they were so busy focusing on doctrinal heresy that their warm noses had become cold hearts. I don't know. You know, sometimes people focus on something so intently that they miss the main thing. Maybe they were so busy serving the Lord, which is a commendable thing, they had become like Martha. You remember Mary and Martha. You remember Meatloaf Martha. You know, she's there and she's all consumed with the work in the kitchen. And Jesus said Mary had chosen the better thing because she was there at the feet of the Lord Jesus. In fact, every time she appears, that's where you find her in Scripture. Now, they had left their first love. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't love Jesus. They just didn't love Jesus the way they used to love Jesus. They, they, they were serving Jesus. And if you serve Jesus... I mean, if you love Jesus, you don't have to be begged to serve. You know, a mother doesn't have to be begged to, to stay up all night with her sick child. She does it because she loves the child, right? There's your Mother's Day sermon if you need one, all right? <laughs> Some of you love Jesus and you serve Jesus. You just don't love Jesus the way you used to love Jesus. And that love has somewhat worn down. The prophet Jeremiah in the second chapter describes God's love for Israel and Israel's love for God like a honeymoon kind of love. Now certainly, we're not talking here just about feelings. In fact, if you're married long enough, your love should grow and it should deepen and it should mature. But their love had been replaced. In some marriages, they become kind of routine. And when you take your spouse for granted, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. When you just live together and you don't love each other. I'm not talking about just some feeling here. But we're talking about a resolve that comes out of a heart that is passionate over the kindness and grace and the mercy that Jesus Christ has brought. The honeymoon was over. It had dwindled for these people, and they had lost perspective. And so Jesus is going to tell them how to regain perspective. He doesn't just castigate them and say, well, you know, this is the way it is. Sorry, sayonara. He then goes on to explain how they can fix it. Now, when Jesus says he has something against the church, 
You ought to listen. And you shouldn't listen just corporately. You need to listen individually. That brings me to the second point. Jesus explains their remedy. He explains their remedy. I mean, you, you read this church, you say, oh, they're not idolaters. They're not engaged in the worship of Diana. They're sound in doctrine. I mean, how bad can it be? Well, look at verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So Jesus underscores the problem, but now gives us the solution. And there are three critical R's. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon, remember these three R's. First of all, Jesus speaks to them about remembering, about remembering. You might want to underline or circle the second word in the verse. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. In fact, it's a verb tense. Keep on remembering what you have lost so that you can once again regain it. I want to take you back on your spiritual journey for just a moment. I just want to think you to think for just a moment about your own spiritual pilgrimage. I don't know. For some of you, it started a week ago. For some of you, it started 40 years ago. But I want to ask you, was there a time in your life when you loved Jesus Christ more than you do today? When you were more passionate about serving Him and loving Him than you are right now? If that's true, then you're backslidden and you have left your first love. Again, Jeremiah 2 likens Israel's love to a honeymoon love of the husband and wife. Someone said the honeymoon is over when you reach that period somewhere between I do and you better, you know. I don't know exactly when that happens, but listen, the honeymoon love is different, but it should mature and it should deepen and it should grow. And sometimes people have taken their love for Jesus for granted. And they're just coasting. So remember, is that not what the prodigal son did? He remembered when he was there in the pig pen what it was like back in the father's house. And some of us would do well to be still before God and just to remember today what it was like so that you can rekindle it. That brings me to the second word, repent. Jesus speaks to them not just about remembering, but repenting. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. The second command is repent. That's a nao. It means literally to change your mind. You see, this lack of first love is not some small thing. It's a sin. It's a horrible, heinous, terrible, hurtful sin. Why? Because the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And not to do that is to break the greatest of all the commandments. So don't get the idea that we're talking about, you know, some teenage love germ where you fall in and out of love. We're not talking about here about a feeling. We're not talking about some sentimental kind of slush. We're talking about some spiritual concrete with steel in it. A love that is built on a growing truth and understanding of who Jesus is as revealed in the Scripture. And if you've lost that, you need to come to the Lord today and say, Lord... I don't love you the way I used to. You used to be the center of my affection. I used to think about you day and night. I used to talk about you wherever I went. 
I would share you with whoever you gave me opportunity. I would reach out to the lost and invite them to church. I would share my testimony. I would take people through the plan of salvation. I would serve in your church. I used to walk with you and talk with you. I'd go into the supermarket and you and I would be having a conversation. And whether it was cutting the grass or painting the house or changing a diaper, whatever it was, you were in the center of my life. And some of you know that's no longer true. And Jesus would say, repent. Third, Jesus speaks to them about repeating. About repeating. Verse 5, Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. He's asking them to do the deeds. That is to repeat their first works. That is, you go back to the basics. You go back to some of those first actions you did when you were first in love with Jesus. I mean, think about it. Do you remember when you used to spend time lingering in the Word of God? Do it again. Do you remember when there was a time when you would literally go into your prayer closet and pour your heart out before the Lord? Do it again. Do you remember that, that time when you just, just loved being with God's people? You showed up in the middle of the week because it was so exciting to you to gather with God's people? Do it again. Do you remember when you used to tell people all the time about Jesus and reach out? Do it again. Pursue it again. Finally, Jesus speaks to them about removing about removing. Verse 5, let's read the whole verse now. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. He warned them that if they did not respond, the light of their witness would be extinguished. I will remove your lampstand from its place so back to the original question, is losing your first love serious? If Jesus has something against you, it's real serious. And it's super serious when he removes the lampstand of a church. You know, there was some, one of those Presbyterian churches in our town that does gay marriages was once a great church in Beaufort. They sent missionaries but now they propagate evil. God removed their lampstand. Unless we be proud or arrogant, God could remove the lampstand of this church. And while He may not do it corporately, He could do it on your life individually. And when a church loses its lampstand, they may come in and turn on the lights and have their potlucks and everything else, but there's no viable witness for Jesus Christ. The Lord wants us to hear what He's saying to His churches. And He wants us to hear it not just corporately. He wants us to hear it individually. Yet, this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We're out of time, but for the, we'll, we'll come to that. I'll just deal with it later on when we come to the church of Pergamum in detail. But let me just say, if you hate something that Jesus hates, you're on the right track. Then verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, it's not only a corporate challenge, it's a personal challenge. If you have an ear on your head, Jesus is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now listen, if you do hear this morning, if you have real ears to hear, you take the steps if you need to, to remember, to repent, and to repeat, then Jesus reminds us that what was lost will be restored. This church had lost the bliss of paradise, and Jesus wants to restore it in their fellowship. And He can restore it not only in a church, but He can restore it in an individual. Now, if you're here today and you're not saved, your greatest need is to establish a first love by calling upon Jesus Christ in faith. But if you are here and you are saved... It may be that your first love needs to be restored. And it's a terrible thing to have a saved soul in a broken life. And you can go out that door, and the years can turn into decades, and some pastor may preach over your casket. I preached over a servant yesterday, and I'll do another one on Tuesday, Wednesday over a servant of God. But there are some caskets I preach over who I know have saved souls, but broken lives. And Jesus is worthy of so much more. Now, our Father, we thank you for the magnificent love that you've shown us in Jesus. Thank you for the things that we can learn from each of these seven churches. But help us not just to listen corporately. Help us to listen as individuals. There are some people here who have had a consistent first love their whole life, and I thank you for that. But there are others that have lost that first love, and you need to restore it. May today be a turning point. May your will be accomplished in the lives of your church. Help someone here today, Father, who's never been saved to realize that whosoever will may come, that whoever will call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Thank you that you can make that promise because of the payment he made for our sin debt. Help someone in simple, childlike faith to believe your word, for you cannot lie. Help them to come in faith and to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And help those that, who are members of the universal body of Christ. You said the gates of hell will not prevail against that. But while you will accomplish what you want to do in your universal church, you may not do it in a local church and you may not do it in a local life. So search our hearts, O oh God. Help us not to be deceived. See if there be any wicked way in us that we might walk in the way everlasting. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. To listen again to today's message, When Your Love Is Gone, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 
787-7478 and requesting program REV4. And when you do contact us, would you consider helping with a one-time or a recurring gift? Your support of Search the Scriptures allows us to introduce those who don't know Jesus Christ to Him and to grow believers in their walk with the Lord. For more information, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin a look at the rich little poor church. Join us then as we search the scriptures.